Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And we've got one a little bit different today. I've got Dylan Cummings on the show. Dylan is a writer for the IWBF and also he's a writer for Raw Coaching. So welcome onto the show, Dylan. Thank you very much for having me. So Dylan, before we delve into today's episode, can you talk us a little bit through your journey, obviously from uh, you started out as a player in wheelchair basketball and still to this day play. How did kind of the other things from the journalistic perspective come about? Um, well, I mean, do you want me to start right from the very beginning of my career? You can do, yeah. Um, so basically what it was is um, I grew up on a little island called the Isle of Isla in the west coast of Scotland. And then in at the end of 2012, uh, my mum decided to move from there. And uh, on Isla, I, I really had no access to sport. I uh, really had no access to... You know, I, I was the only... I was pretty much the only disabled child in mainstream school there because it was such a small island of 3,000 uh, people, only about 250 uh, kids at the school. And then in January 2013, uh, I found Carlisle Panthers wheelchair basketball on uh, the internet and started playing for them. And then um, I wasn't very good to start off with, but then I just worked at it and worked at it and, and got better and, and, you know, started proving people wrong, you know, got stronger, went to the scheduled in gym sessions, you know, done shooting sessions, got a, a lot better at shooting. And then because um, the team manager for Carlisle suggested that I try out for the Scotland under-19s national team, uh, because of my Scottish heritage. So um, in 2014, I went to trial out for them and I got reserve status, uh, which I was gutted about at first, but then, you know, it's a good learning curve. It gives you more motivation to push harder. And then in 2000, well, I got called up in 2014 and then I've made the squads in 2015, 2016 and this year. And actually I'm going off to the school games tomorrow at Loughborough University, uh, playing in my final competition for the under-19s. And then hopefully I will progress onto the under-23s in the near future. Um, but Dylan, how, how come you didn't play for one of the Scottish teams from a club perspective? Is it because they didn't at the time have that social media presence perhaps? Um, the reason why I didn't play for a Scottish club is because... Uh, I was only introduced to wheelchair basketball when I moved to England and Carlisle was just, the, obviously I lived near Carlisle, so Carlisle was the closest club. And the closest club to me, well, there's only there's only two real league clubs that play in the BWB league at the minute. It's, it's uh, St. Mirren Warriors and Lothian Phoenix. And um, I just played for Carlisle because it was the closest club and saved a lot of travelling, although I didn't mind... I, I didn't mind doing the long distance traveling to Scotland every month for Scotland training. Uh, but, um, you know, I've got a lot of good friends that play in the Lothian club and in the St. Merlin club. And I, even though I might not play for the same club team, I've still managed to forge good friendships with those players. And obviously you, you've, well, since, well, it's kind of, you're in the transition period between your first year and second year at university at Worcester. Yeah. Has basketball kind of laid the path for you to obviously go to that institution? Um, yes, I, I think I, I, I went, my first instance at Worcester was in 2015 playing in the junior championships and I love playing at the uni uh, and then it, it was pretty much my only choice for university. I, I did have a look at other universities but Worcester was the only one that really caught my eye. And uh, yes, basketball is the reason why I went to that university. But some might say, should you not look at maybe the prowess of the university based on its academics? Um, yes, uh, uh, people did advise me on that. And in some ways, now that the programme has moved, I, I do kind of wish I would have thought about it more. But at the same time, you know, 
Yeah, I made what I thought was the right decision at the time, and I don't regret the decision. Well, yeah, and I'd say overall, I don't regret the decision. And, um, you know, there's still a, a fair few amount of players at West University, and the, the basketball programme will still continue to be there. But then you're, like you say, you're not, you're one of probably, I'd say it. Well, off the top of my head, maybe a dozen players, maybe, or would you say that it was more than that? That I kind of yeah. made that same decision to go there based on because the British program was there. Um, yes, I, I am one of many players that chose to go there. Now, obviously, the ones that are on the GB program um, have got transferred, uh, but th- there are still a, f- a fair few amount of good players, and I think. You know, if you're passionate about basketball and you love basketball, yes, um, you know, some people would have chosen to go to unis because of the academic, um, academic, what do you call it, reputation of the unis. But, you know, a lot, yeah, I'd say a lot of players decided to go to Worcester because the basketball program was there. And kind of, we, we kind of go, we talk, you talk about there's a lot of, um, potential and good caliber players yeah we talk about obviously where you are in the league why do you think Worcester is still languishing well try not to be too harsh with this question now uh in the third division uh, whereas they've got probably more I'd say resources with the players depth that they have over other clubs um, I'd say the reason why Worcester Wolves are still in the third division is because, um, yeah, a lot of players might choose to come to Worcester, but a lot of those players um, are like, I don't know, I don't know, how, a lot of those are like top quality players. And because um, obviously the GB women have their own Coyotes team, so a lot of them just want to focus on that and are sometimes are too... Right, obviously, their program, they train every single day and they might not want to commit to Worcester Wolf games as well as Coyotes games. And obviously, we've got to think of the geographical location, the West Midlands. When you look about the, look at the West Midlands, there are so many quality teams available within that area. Um, like, for example, like obviously, that goes to show with the West Midlands becoming junior champions uh, for the past three years in a row. I mean, when you look at Coventry, you look at uh, Keycat Warriors and oh, what are the other ones? Yeah, you know, you've got Wolverhampton there as well. I mean, a, a, a lot of the, the high-end players and, and Warwickshire as well, a lot of the high-end players choose to go to clubs in Prem and Dev 1 like Coventry, Keycat and Warwickshire rather than playing Dev 3 for Worcester Wolves. Um, so I don't know. It's just the way it, way it goes. But I've, I, I do think that if if players at Worcester chose to go to Worcester Wolves, it would have been a lot easier for them to get to because we train on campus. So it's literally a two, a two minute push around the corner for me. So it's just a lot um, more convenient to get to. And you know, I, I am. I'd, I'd say right now I'm only capable of playing Dev Three anyway. So that I'd prefer to play Dev Three than play high end you know, top division basketball, but some other players think differently and would rather go to uh, clubs with perhaps a, a more well-known reputation, shall I say. But Dylan, obviously, you, you are content at being playing in Division 3. Yeah. However, you've obviously done the heights of representing your country. Do you not feel or have the aspirations to play at a higher division or is that just me having that assumption? Um, well, um, I don't, over the past few years, I've sort of, you know, I I don't know how to say this actually. Um, I've realised my strong point is actually off-court more than on-court. Like, for example, writing for IWBF, I've got more of a chance of... of progressing further in wheelchair basketball off-court rather than on-court, such as writing for IWBF. Now, obviously, if the opportunity opportunity prevented itself, uh, presented itself, uh, I would happily play in a higher division. But uh, right now, I feel comfortable playing in Division 3. I feel that that's where I'm at right now in regards to 
playing on court. Uh, and I, I feel perfectly happy and content playing Division 3. And it's a lot more convenient for me because, um, unfortunately, I'm not medically able to drive. Um, so, you know, getting pushing two minutes around the corner towards the Wolves is a lot easier for me. So. And in terms of away games, do you, as a club, do you have like team transportation, obviously being a university, well, I won't say university team, but associated with the university? Um, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a team minibus. Um, we, ca- we tend to just car share. And one of our players has like a big um, sort of like van motability car. So they tend to take most of the sports chairs and we usually just car share, yeah. But do you think... Um, well, this is probably an awkward question again. Uh, the pro able-bodied club could do a little bit more to obviously support what is it it's in all uh, cases its namesake. Um, yes, I do think the the um, BBL club could do a lot more to support um, the the wheelchair club. Unfortunately, we we have struggled to. So, uh, on both ends, we've struggled a bit with communication, but then um, at Christmas, uh, Worcester Wolves BBL Club brought in a new uh, coach called, from Australia. He's called Dale, and he helped out the university team with regards to transportation for the university champs, and he took all the sports chairs in his uh, minibus. So he seems to be on board with the wheelchair program. Uh, next year, I've offered to help out right with in potential uh, journalistic things in regards to writing for the BBL club. So hopefully next year we'll have a stronger relationship with the, uh, with the BBL team and they'll be able to support us a, a little bit more. It sounds like you're being quite, cle- quite clever as well there in terms of it's getting your foot in the door as well. Yeah. I, I commend you on that. Yeah. Um, uh, would you like me to talk about how uh, I got involved with IWBF? Yeah, that'd be great to hear, Dylan. Um, okay, so basically what it was is back in, I think it was February or March, uh, Tina Gordon posted on on the Scotland Squad's Facebook page saying that I should uh, apply to volunteer to write and do social media stuff for the for the International Paralympic Committee. Uh, and I was paired together with uh, Vanessa Erskine from USA uh, to work together as a team to promote wheelchair basketball. But unfortunately, Vanessa had to pull out of the project because she had commitments abroad playing for a team in Germany. But luckily, through the IPC uh, conference call that we had, um, I was introduced to Stephanie Gagne, who is the communications and marketing person for IWBF. And we sort of lost touch with the IPC. But she said the IWBF are looking for uh, writers. So basically one is is she sends me a story that, that she needs uh, written up on. And then I basically just research the story and uh, write it up and get her to check it over. And if she thinks it's okay, it gets published on the IWBF website. And then I recently I've expressed to her that I like interviewing players. I find it really um, interesting. So through that, she's been able to put me into contact with players such as Brad Ness, Steve Serio, uh, Desi Miller, Bo Hedges, and I'm going to be interviewing uh, Aaron Young ne- uh, next week in regards to Canada winning the well, the Canada women winning the America's Cup. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, she's helped me out a lot, and. Hopefully in the future, when, when I get more experience working for them, I can pro- progress further. And hopefully, instead of just it being a voluntary thing, I could get, um, you know, I could, it could progress to being a paid job. And then, um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to go to these tournaments, these major tournaments on behalf of IWBF and report on these tournaments in person and be able to experience these um, amazing events hopefully in the future. And Dylan, as, as we are recording this, uh, what is it today? Obviously, well, from the perspective of the men's side of the draw, mm-hmm. obviously you've got the US and the Canadians playing in the Copa America final tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes. What do you think, prediction-wise, 
how do you think it will, which way would you think it, the result may go? Obviously, with Patrick Anderson coming out of his out of retirement. Mm, that's a that's a real tough one. Um, I think obviously because um, the USA their squad hasn't changed much from real. I think I can't remember the exact amount, but I think eight, they've got eight players on their squad from real with a few new additions. Uh, and then obviously Canada, have, they, they've lost, well, I think a couple of players have taken a break. One of them, has, no, two of them have definitely retired. Well, no, one of them's definitely retired and one of them's moved on to other sports. And um, obviously Patrick Anderson have, has come back and they've got a few of the new junior players filling in the spots of the seniors that aren't present at the event. Um, so, I mean... I think Patrick will help Canada improve a lot since Rio. Um, but I do think the USA still have their core players available. So I think the US will come out on top, although I'm not entirely sure. You never know with Patrick Anderson on the court. Well, it's a difficult one, obviously, with it being a team game. And I was, well, I'll say, we'll say fortunate enough to catch a game from the earlier. Uh, part of the tournament when the US was playing in Brazil and I caught I think it was like the end of the fourth quarter and I, and I kind of seen the score and I'm thinking well it's awfully close but obviously yeah, we talked off off, off air about it you yeah. were saying um, when you spoke to Steve Serial they, and and Desi Miller they were I won't say worried but obviously they, they looking over their shoulders at the Brazilians obviously coming up yeah but obviously, now with it being your swan song within the, within terms of the school games, what are kind of your aspirations from, say, that perspective and that tournament this weekend? This weekend, in regards to, well, I'd say Scotland have the strongest squad, the uh, strongest under-19 squad they've ever had this year. I think because of the, the, the result, I think... You can play nationals one year older than like can't explain. You have to be a certain age to play school games compared to nationals. So the teams are a lot different for school games. Um, Central have have lost quite a lot of their players. The the defending champion Central have lost a lot of their players. Um, South are significantly weaker. I think the only one that's still as strong as they were last year are North. Um, And then I think at the nationals. We finished top out of the home nations. So we finished um, a place above Wales and two places above Northern Ireland. So we are the strongest home nation going into it. So I think this year, I think hopefully we'll progress um, into either the bronze medal game and potentially the final if we give it at all. I think we've got, you know, very, very strong players in regards to... um, like players like Josh Manson, the BT brothers, David and James, and uh, Big Ben Leach. We can play quite a strong lineup. Um, so, yeah, this tournament uh, sh- sh- it looks really hopeful for the Scotland squad, and hopefully, we'll get chances of getting a medal. But just one thing I've, I want to add is that uh, Scotland, S- Scotland are progressing very well as um, like a team unit, although. A lot of the players, a lot of the strong players um, within the Scotland squad with the likes of Josh and the Beatty brothers, some of them do have to venture into England to gain different um, club experiences. Like, for example, Josh Manson is going to travel to Tees Valley uh, next season and the Beatty brothers are at Carlisle. So I think even though the Scotland squad is is as strong as it's ever been, I think... um, if the Scottish, the Scottish clubs um, got stronger, um, it would prov- provide um, more and a better pathway for the Scottish athletes. But in a little bit of a difficult one, because obviously, would it be in, how would I put this now, very much, say, Edinburgh-based and, say, well, originally St. Mirror was Glasgow, so it's very much east yeah. and west. Yeah. yeah very difficult in terms of say as you say player development because Scotland is not a small country 
Yeah. I mean, uh, like, for example, Ben is from Perth, which is uh, way up north. So he has to travel from Perth to Edinburgh, which is quite a long, a long way. Uh, but I think if they establish, I mean, th- they have established links in, say, Aberdeen and Dundee, but it's just a case of over time they will eventually get stronger. And, um, I mean, the Scotland Junior Programme has already proved within three years how strong it can become. So I just think with time, it'll just become stronger. But would you not say that... Oh, and I, you probably, from a journalistic point of view now, yeah. you've obviously seen that. We, well, with North Wales, we have our own... How would you put it? Not really regionalised league, but as in, you know, within the clubs that fall under the BWB uh, club that is North Wales Knights... Would you say Scotland maybe should follow that model to be able to maybe uh, develop their players in a unique way that they're able to get more game time, more exposure, and it's maybe not as in it as a competitive environment that, say, the likes of the third division and up within BWB um, kind of entails yeah well i think scotland have followed that model um i think they have some called the scottish uh, they they do have a scottish league where lothian st mirren uh, grampian flyers from aberdeen and dundee dragons all compete i think it's three weekends a year and i think we finished top this i think I think either Dundee or lothian finished top this year so, so they, they they are taking steps to improve that um, that model. And do you, do you think it's kind of a, a benefit or a hindrance in a way that obviously the players have to go venture into England to probably better themselves? I mean, obviously, I, I mean, if they're willing to travel and they're like, oh, um, I, I know, like, I know the setups around Carlisle, and I've been around Tees Valley as well. I mean, it will benefit Josh and the Deakey brothers to go there and gain different experiences from different coaches, and it will benefit them. Obviously, it's a lot for them to to travel to England, but I, th- I think overall it will definitely benefit them, yes. Uh-huh. And if we kind of bring in the, to the next point now, obviously, which the travel, do you find it, do, have you found it easier now that you are based in Worcester playing wise? Uh, a little bit easier for getting to games from a wave perspective now than it was at Carlisle? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'd say, I'd say um, because Worcester is central, it's a lot less time to get to away games. Uh, but it was. It was, it was, I'd say it was good at Carlisle because we had, we had our own team minibus, so we could all go together, and we didn't have to mess around with cars or having to fit chairs and cars or anything like that. So that's a good perspective in terms of that. Uh, but obviously, you'd have seen this one during the summer with, oh, what did the league do? You know, with the, especially in the Division Three, obviously with shake up with teams dropping out of the league higher up the the, the pyramid. Um, obviously with them trying to, to their best ability, trying to make it very much regionalised to a certain extent, but obviously being northwest, northeast, southeast and southwest. Um, yeah. What was your take on um, what was originally going to be the league format from um, the Division 3 perspective? What, what uh, the, the league this year? Yes. Um. I mean, it's slightly easier for us because it's mainly just teams based on on the west side, because uh, we know we know we no longer have to travel to Thames Valley, uh, or um, or um, Aylesbury. I think the only team on the east side we have to travel to is Hampshire, uh, which is a bit of a pain. But I mean, it's it's mainly it's mainly just southwest teams now, so I think it's a lot easier. Although the one I am gutted about not playing Aces because it means I won't be able to um, visit Stoke Mandeville Stadium again, which is where 
that stadium brought back a lot of memories for me because it's where I had my first junior tournament playing for Scotland. And I haven't, I haven't been back there since uh, 2014, since the event. So. Could always move and play for a team in the southeast. Nah, I, I, I'm all right with Worcester. I, th- I, think, I think I'd get some decent minutes this season anyway, so I'm looking forward to it. And then from, from a perspective, say a team perspective now, Dylan, what is, say, this is maybe only your perspective now, what do you think the overall goal is of the club? Uh, for Worcester Wolves? Yes. Uh, well, this season it's very different. Last season we had quite a lot of players, sometimes too much to fit into one team. Uh, and a lot of those players have left, obviously, with the programme moving. Uh, one of our players has gone over to transfer to university in Alabama. And one of our players has gone to play for uh, for TCAT Warriors, to return to TCAT Warriors. So we've only got about 10 players this season, with three, I think three of them, or three of them being AB. So... Um, it, I mean, I think this season we've just got to see how it goes and hopefully finish within the top three, I'd say. But, um, I, to be honest, I, 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 don't, I don't really know because um, I'm not a coach and I haven't really spoke to the coaches through the off-season to see what they want to do. But I mean, we've, we've got a good young coach this year, Oliver Griffith-Salter. Is coming to coach our team while he's playing for Coventry, and then obviously the assistant coaches, uh, Marka McMullen, uh, so uh, who was our, one of our coaches last year, so we've got a bit of continuity with that. Um, Tom Horrocks was our head coach last season, and he's he's put down the coaching board, and he's going to get back on the court. So hopefully, he will uh, be a strong link for our team. Um, I think what else. Yes, I think we're very optimistic. It's going to be a very different because we've lost quite a lot of players. But I just think if we just see how it goes and try and not get too stressed about things, we should be all right. So what was Tom's excuse for not playing last year? Because I've I've probably played against him, oof, um, say once when he was at Worcester, the first team, probably the first season Worcester was in the league. And then I'm going to say one or two years when he's up at T's. Yeah, um, but the reason Tom didn't play last year was, well, one of the reasons was because he was in his third year and it was very stressful. Plus, also his degree was in sports coaching, so he wanted to do as much coaching as possible in order to like back up his degree, sort of. Um, so and plus, he'd already tried coaching and playing at the same time, and he felt that um, it was too too difficult to manage. So he just played for the university team last year, but this season he's going to get back on court and play for the team. Hopefully, be uh, one of our main players. And kind of, I think off the top of my head, where are kind of some of the uh, locations that you'll get to play? This coming season, off the um, top of your head, I've got I've got the league structure on my phone here. I'll just quickly load it up. Uh, it's quite a few new teams. Well, not a few, but there's a couple of new teams um, here. So, right, I've got it. Uh, we play Plymouth, which is probably going to be the furthest journey. Um, Plymouth, Swansea, Hampshire, Coventry, Gloucester, and Warwickshire. It's not too bad then. It's a lot of close to home then. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, yeah, Warwickshire and Gloucester will be quite close to get to. Um, yeah, so a lot, um, quite a bit of less travelling compared to last season. So. so you get a little jolly there in the, in the is, it, is that the Midlands then? No, that's the uh, Division 3 Southwest. That's not too bad. It's a bit easier than the north, then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think... Actually, looking at the league now, I think our biggest challenge will be Plymouth. And I think with the rest of the teams, because Warwickshire brought their... Warwickshire won the league last season, and they so, so their Division 3 team this season is new. Mm-hmm. So I think Plymouth will be our toughest challenge, but the rest of them will be fairly even. Oh, it's a difficult one, when in terms of... Uh, 
would it be in that? Well, you could say the basement of the league structure to some extent, but obviously you've got Division 4 underneath. Um, within terms of who's going to be playing for who, it's probably the similar essence with us in the north, but you don't know how teams are going to, uh, say, structure their team dynamics all the way through a club because you could say, well, okay, that is their, uh, I think... From what you've said, Warwickshire, that would be their third team. I think it'd be the same with us. With uh, We've got uh, T's third team, Carlisle's third team. Uh, who else is in there? Leeds' second team. So you, you, you can never quite tell. It might be a number, but yeah, you don't know what teams are going to do to, say, manipulate the... How would I put it? League structure. The, not the league structure, but as in the player to be able to make make oh, the, the, the strong yeah. as opposed to loading one one team over another. Yeah. Uh huh. But I mean, whenever a team moves up from Division Three, it, it, it's sort of good in a way because it allows that team to potentially put in an, another team for Division Three for the following year if they've got uh, enough players up. I know that if, when I was at Carlisle, if their, if their second team won Division 3 when I was at Carlisle and they put a new team in Division 3, it would have, although we, we would have been an inexperienced team and we probably would have got, um, we wouldn't, I don't think our third team would have done, our third team at the time would have done very well in Division 3, but it would have been, you know, a lot more playing time and a lot more experience rather than playing Division 4. Which was only three weekends a year. So. Well, it's a, it's a difficult one, but then on the flip side of that, with Division Three, you can't get relegated, so it's it is yeah. a win-win to a certain extent because you're going to get that player development, and there is no comeback in terms of if you play poor. Well, I won't say play poorly, but if you don't get your wins, you you're going to get relegated. So from that, mm-hmm. that aspect. I think it's a good system. However, uh, and this is probably close to home with me and t- teams in our area, because uh, ch- Cheshire Phoenix got a wheelchair basketball team as well. They won every game last year in Division 4, but are still not coming up to Division 3, which I think is a bit... Uh, I don't know. The, the, you hear these excuses that, oh, we don't have enough play- like disabled players. It's yeah. too far to travel. It's like well, between division three, uh, between division four, sorry, and division three, okay, there might be a little bit more travelling, but compared to say division one, two, it's not. It's not major. But you thought if you've won every game, you would want to challenge yourself by playing better teams. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I think. I think, uh, for example, Carlisle have a very strong chance of winning Division One this year. So, um, I mean, I know I've spoken to a few, a few of the players and coaching staff there. I mean, they're, they're, if they were to win Division One, I think that they're a little bit nervous about the travelling in Prem. But, like, obviously, you know, if you love basketball and if you want to develop, you, you know, it's worth travelling from all the way down to London or you know to Oldham or wherever. Wherever, it's it's totally worth it. But it's not too bad. It's only it's only one week. Well, yeah, one week. What we got was premise ten team. That's only five weekends of the year, so it's not yeah. it's not that you know it's, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and plus, if it's if it's far down south, I mean, if players have the, the money and the expense, like they they could have the game, have the game, and then stay overnight and have you know have a good social social night after the game or whatever so you get, you get that benefit as well so well I think that's the the component uh, with a lot of things or I think with our club I use the example you'll they'll look to to get a double header be it oh, in the past we've played Carlisle on a Saturday uh, gone to Scotland on the Sunday or gone to play tees on the Saturday and then gone up to Scotland. So I think it very much varies. So I think it's trying to use very, the, the logistic essence of things of 
not well, not getting two games out of the way at what at once, but being able to, like you say, it's that team bonding. You are away from well, not your family, but you are in that that bubble of a team environment, and, and you can get to know the person a little bit better than say. Yeah. Just going to the game one day and coming back home that after the game. Yeah, I think a lot a lot of Worcester's teams are quite close, so I don't think. I mean, we might do it for Plymouth, but I think that'll be the only game that we consider staying overnight for anyway. So. Well, it's it's fair enough. Well, it's, it's a long way in it, Plymouth. It's three hours away. Well, but no, but in terms of Say when we look at the end of the season now, uh, and normally playoffs and a lot of the championships are at Worcester. Do you think with them now moving away and going to be based in Sheffield, that maybe the league will look to maybe move the stuff back up north, or do you think they'll split it? Uh, I mean, the, the league. Sorry, could you, could you sort of um, repeat the question again? Do you think, with obviously, with the the national team moving away up to Sheffield, do you think it will have an impact on the national finals and things like that of that nature? What have predominantly been at Worcester for the last, oof, say, three four years now? Yeah. Do you well, think the league will look to to spread it out a little bit? Maybe have a championship up in Sheffield and, and maybe some championship like, like the old days towards the end yeah. the juniors were very much at Stoke Mandeville and then there was stuff at, uh, in Worcester yeah well I think I think they're going to predominantly move a lot of the stuff to Sheffield like I know playoffs is supposedly in Sheffield this year but I think because Worcester have, has three courts it's ideal for the junior championships with the under 15s and 9 so I think that's staying at Worcester I think they're going to keep Continental Clash as an annual thing at Worcester. So then that's once a year. And then I think Women's League and that, I think, I don't know about Women's League. It might stay at Nottingham, but because Nottingham and Sheffield are quite close together. Well, no, actually, I think Women's League will stay at Nottingham because I think not, uh, Wildcat Arena has three courts. So um, I think the majority of the stuff is going to get moved to Sheffield, but that's just the way things go. Um, you know, obviously they're investing a lot, a lot more money into the GB program now for Tokyo, and a lot of the play, players that don't have families abroad are coming back. So uh, it's a shame they couldn't do that at Worcester, but um, it's the way things go. Well, I think the more teams in the north won't be too fussed with it going to Sheffield. Probably be quite <laughs> quite relieved if it was. If you said the northwest teams, probably happy. If, it'd be even more happy if it was Manchester because it's even yeah. that that much closer. But Sheffield's not oh, coming from the west side of the country. It's still not from a travel perspective. Still, it's okay journey, but yeah. it's still what was it? It's about sixty miles away from here. I think roughly. Yeah. But obviously, it's not once you get the other side of Manchester, it's not motorway, so it's it's very much windy roads. But that's it is what it is. It's, it's I think it's it's always going to be difficult trying to select a proper central location because when you look at it from the home country's point of view, obviously you might feel the same way because you're from Wales. And I do think BWB need to do a bit more to. Um, uh, like, I don't. They, I feel that they need to be more involved with the home countries, say Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, and obviously cancelling Celtic Cup because they uh, because of funding. I think it's a step in the total total wrong direction. But um, I do think that even though they've moved the set, the program north, which might will be certainly easier for those travelling from the home countries, I do think they still need to do a lot more. Do you think it's probably in the long run maybe a little naive then? Um, for them to move the program to Sheffield? No, no, as in reducing the funding for their home nations. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was. Um, maybe they genuinely needed the funding, which probably is the case. But I do think. 
you know, despite the the majority of strong junior teams coming from England, I do think Scot Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland they were on the cusp of becoming, you know, a strong team. Like the under twenty three teams at Celtic Cup, they were very very strong. You know, Scotland won Celtic Cup, I think it was three four years in a row. And then obviously Wales won it one year as well, and you know Northern Ireland are constantly, constantly um, evolving and getting better. When you look at Knights, you know they're pre- they were a prem team, and and now they're in Division One. You know you look at the strong players from like um, James McSorley and uh, Katie Morrow, and then like um, well, so like even the under 15s Northern Ireland Junior League team a couple of years ago. Like they they were like within the top three teams at the junior championships, so they were getting really well. So I just think, I, just, oh, I don't I wouldn't say naive is the right word. I just think it's a massive shame that they've cancelled Celtic Cup because it's I think it's it disappointed a lot of the players and obviously uh, my Scotland coach Tina Gordon, the create the creator of the Celtic Cup, who first brought forward the idea to BWB. I think she's um. Disappointed, disappointed by it as well. But I mean, hopefully it'll, it'll come back soon. Uh, I'm saying, um, I'm in the middle of something. I, I do think it's a, it's a massive shame that Celtic Cup has been cancelled. Yeah. But then, Dylan, do you think it's putting a glass ceiling on the Cel- uh, on the home? Well, the, the Celtic nations by doing that. Obviously, if you haven't got the aspirations of being able to represent your country at under 23s and you've only got the under-15s and the under-19s to aspire to, uh, do you kind of think that... Uh, it's quite a difficult one question to ask, but in terms of, say, if you... In some cases, and for a majority of the players, that probably won't make it, so say, uh, to be a GB junior or especially a GB senior, that is kind of their... How would I put this now? Um, kind of something they can look back on later in life and be very proud about that do you think it's kind of I mean I think a lot, regardless whether the, whether someone makes you if they, if they represent the country Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland I do think they'll look back and be proud on that but I do think the cancellation of Celtic Cup has put more of a glass ceiling on the home nations I do think there was a glass ceiling on there before uh, because I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it's just like, um, uh, there was always this vibe that the people from the home nation never really got properly seen by by higher officials in BWB. Like, for example, with the RPC, uh, as far as I'm aware, there's no RPC structure in Wales or, or Northern Ireland. And the Scotland RPC was sort of, uh, like, independently arranged. Uh, but if you want to go to like the proper organised BWB officials, BWB official RPCs, yeah, I think the north one is in Oldham, the the central one is in Coventry, mm-hmm. and the uh, well the the GB one was in Worcester, and the south one was I can't remember where it was either it was either in London somewhere in London or Stoke Mandeville, so. Uh, I know. I know one player from Mid Wales that travelled to Coventry to attend regularly, uh, and that that was the same for the HPC as well. But you know, like th- there's no there's no HPC RPC set up really really at all in the home nations, uh, which is a real shame. But it's a quite difficult one in terms of. I don't know if you you from memory would have the same problem in Scotland as you do in Wales. There's definitely. A well, if they put it say in Cardiff, there would be to some extent resentment up here in the north because okay, why are you putting it down there if there's one in Worcester? And it's probably a difficult one because Manchester's and that kind of area is not that far away for us to travel, so it's you could probably say it's that one of a politics to a certain extent, but then you're never going to please everybody, yeah. I mean. I mean, if they put it in Manchester or Oldham, it's not far f- for North Wales uh, people to trip to people from North Wales to travel there. Uh, likewise, with if they put it in Worcester, I mean Cardiff is quite far from Worcester to be. Well, 
an hour and a half, I think. So it's, it's, well, it's not that bad. But like in regards to Scotland, even if they put it in, say, Newcastle or somewhere, that'd be a lot easier. But, um, certainly from the guys coming from the east, uh, from Edinburgh, way, if they put it in Newcastle. But yeah, like you say, it's, it's hard to please everyone. But um, hopefully, I just wish now and again maybe a BWB official would like say, I don't know, I, I can't really like say say like I don't know Pete Finbar or Simon Fisher or someone like that if they were to travel up maybe once once every couple of months to Wales or Scotland or Northern Ireland if they done that then it would be a step in the right direction but um, I don't know. It's just with the cancellation of Celtic Cup, it's really put a downer on uh, how things are going in the home nations just now. So. I think, in terms of say the coaches coming in, I think uh, one would have been when I've seen them both in the same room would have been when we played Carlisle late towards last season, and obviously you had Nate, uh, Nate Patterson. Uh, who else would have been uh, Jack Barler from our side? Yeah. Um, who else was it? David Ion. Obviously, yeah. were were very much in the 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 running for the. Let's see if I get this right. The under twenty three national sides. So obviously, they're they're gonna they're gonna go to that game because they're all in one location That's at one right, time yeah. to make it easier to be able to be seen, and it's a game game scenario situation. So I think that would be maybe there you could say the reason behind it as opposed to maybe going to a training session where you'd have to go to multiple locations. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I, I understand where you're coming from there. Like, um, but um, like you say, like players like Nat and David, um, you know, they've done extremely well uh, to, to get onto the, the GB path. But, Pathway. When when you look at the when you look at the geographical locations of of um, the players that are on that team, there's not very many from the far north compared to like from the likes that are from Sheffield. There's quite a few Sheffield players on there. There's quite a few players from Oldham that were on there. Uh, a couple of players from Coventry. So a lot of these areas that are getting the attention uh, are producing results. Obviously, with with you know Coventry players making the squads and the RPC HPCs being in Coventry, I just think if if they done that maybe further north or in in areas that weren't getting as much attention, if they sort of spread it spread it out as best they could, I think a lot the same results would occur. If you get what I mean, mm-hmm. but you could say probably more recently, and say over ooh, what would it be the last five years, the northeast has definitely got a a stake and a claim to say, well, okay, what about us? Because obviously, with the rise of Tees Valley Titans, oh yeah, definitely kind of making their way up from well, gosh, we were down in Division Three with them. What would it be about three, four years ago? And obviously, they're a Premiership team. Yeah. in this upcoming season so you could say well why not us that that the development of players is obviously there yeah uh, they've obviously got the likes of um that par- the paralympic John players coming coming back and playing for them and things like that so you could say well, there is aspirations to develop players to that standard yeah definitely why why do they not maybe uh, aid that um, development and make the depth a little bit more easy and obviously they can then thus and Scotland included yeah. have a stake and claim to a an RPC and maybe upwards of uh, HPC in the long run but that is what it is with sport everything is kind of revolves around politics and money yeah. to a certain extent mm-hmm. yeah um, I couldn't agree with, with you more. I mean, what Tees Valley, what Lee Fawcett has done with Tees Valley, it's nothing short of amazing. To get from Div 4 to the Premier League within, what, the space of five years, it's unbelievable what they've, what they've done. Um, and even with the likes of Carlisle as well, like, uh, 
a good, about three years ago, Carlisle were getting um, what Carlisle were getting uh, hammered in Div One, and then they got a demotion to Div Two. Absolutely uh, scored it coming up, coming up the ranks, uh, and they've just been unlucky uh, when it comes to pre- uh, Premier League spaces. I think. Because uh, when TCAP were in the North League, uh, they were just unlucky against them. And then Tees Valley stepped it up the next season, obviously bringing in Matt Byrne, John Hall. Um, who else did they bring in? I think it was just oh, Matt Byrne and John Hall that season. And then obviously with the likes of Aaron Hurst and Liam Force on top of that. they were. Um, it's just the way things go. And, um, but I think... Like like you say, with the likes of Carlisle and Tees Valley rising up the ranks, um, yeah, there's definitely a claim to, for them to be a more far north than HPC or RPC, like you said. And kind of, we kind of come back to you, Dylan, now. What do you see kind of going forward and your aspirations for, say, I don't know, in the next five to ten years? Um, myself, in the next five to ten years... Um, kind of a difficult one to answer well I mean I think just progress uh, keep progressing with the IWBF uh, writing you know making sure the quality of my articles are good and hopefully just get my name up there and get my name recognised you know I've been writing these articles for a couple of months and um, obviously with these you know, big name players that I've been put into contact with, but that that's also encouraged people that are that are big name players to send me friend requests. And here are these Paralympians sending me friend requests, and I'm like, what the hell? What the hell is going on here? Like, um, but um, the next five to ten years, hopefully, I I see myself working for IWBF. I don't know exactly where my geographical location will be. Um, I think. I'd more I'd more than be happy to work with teams from all over the world, Germany, America, Canada, and go over there and, and help them the best I can. But I think I don't know if I'm ready to live abroad. So hopefully I'll be based somewhere in the UK, fairly close to where the GB uh, program is centralised. But maybe just be the IWBF affiliate for Britain. Or, or the IWBF reporter for Brent, but not just focus on GB things, focus on other teams as well, and just hopefully build build connections and build, I don't know, just build networks. But um, I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit anxious about it because I, right now, like obviously the pro, the program, the GB program moving from Worcester, it has affected me a bit. I don't know what what the basketball will be like there when I go back, and um, it's it's made me quite sad. But um, hopefully, with this connection that I've made with IWBF, I can just progress further in the world of wheelchair basketball, and hopefully, good things will come. I don't know exactly what they are yet, but I've just got to be optimistic. But when you say Dylan, you, you are a bit shocked that people are obviously friend questioning you as Paralympians. Yeah. Obviously, they don't see it that way because if you flip it on the other way, you are kind of opening. Uh, how would I put this? Um, you are kind of their shop window in terms of publicity. Yes, uh-huh. I, I I get that, but see, I I I still don't see myself as Dylan Cummings, the IWBF reporter. I just see myself as Dylan Cummings. I don't know, an average basketball player. You know, I mean, I am, um, but like, um, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite mad that I'm, I'm in a way people's key to get publicity. Like you said, like it still hasn't sunk in yet, but hopefully it'll just progress and I'll be able to travel the world with the opportunities that I've been fortunate enough to be given. But like you say, Dylan, it's, it's, you probably term it maybe how would I put it? Not putting those people on the pedestal, so to speak, and kind of saying it like using your own words here now, using as networking because it's because of that job you were able to engage with, say, 
how would I put it? Um, inspirational individuals, very good at their, what they do. And it's, it's what world class Paralympians. And probably from the flip side of me being an, an, an athlete and kind of been from not from a basketball perspective now, yeah. I've been in their shoes. We are just human beings. It's 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 probably yeah. The talent is there. I, I won't I, I won't deny that. But it's it's we are good at what we do. You could probably say if I put it from my perspective, you are good at what you do from a, a journalistic perspective. Yeah. Otherwise, and and very keen and willing to start at the bottom from doing it from a volunt- voluntary perspective. Yeah. You want to get your skill and your craft. So that that is to be commended, obviously. It's probably, you could put that, associate that to a certain extent with a sporting background because you, you, you started at the bottom. If you were, you're willing to work your way up, it's, yeah. it's virtually, in a word, in certain words, it's, it's very much similar. So they probably... Use use you networking wise to obviously get their name out there because with any Paralympic sport, if you put it on par with an able-bodied athlete, it's it's that much harder to do it. So if they can get their name out there, uh, be it from a brand perspective, a um, be it even if they're not even got a professional contract, it gets them out. Yes, no. get them out there and about that teams know about them or oh, this person is this classification yeah. they're good at this and it, it, it does helps um, grow their portfolio yeah and um, I think this has given me a, a new um, I don't know I'd say life goals to achieve because when I was younger I, obviously I was 16 and I was very very naive like when I first joined basketball I thought it was Absolutely amazing, and it still is amazing, and it's the best thing in the world. I don't know what I would do if I didn't find this sport, but I think I used to beat myself up quite a lot because of like um, I used to always aspire to be playing on GB and being this absolute world class player, and all. I was very naive, and obviously having cerebral palsy, it's quite. I'd say, in the grand scheme of things, it's quite a difficult. It's a, it's wheelchair basketball is not. Oh, I don't know how to say this. Um, if you have cerebral palsy and you play wheelchair basketball, it's kind of. I'd say it's kind of more. It's a. You probably I, I, I can't. I can't really explain it, but do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, not not many people with cerebral palsy are in these GB elite pathways. I think there's one in the women's program, and there used to be a couple in the junior program, but there's not any more. Well, to some extent, from a, um, I'll say, from a disability perspective, now you are probably more affected at times by your impairment to say yeah. say if we use an amputee because uh, it's that's not going to bother me yeah. well, most of the time okay that impairment's there but it's it's whereas with you could have a spasm at any given moment yeah that's gonna that could affect you yeah. from one day to the next you could be more well, we'll use the term disabled yeah. From what and be more impaired from one day to yeah. the next, whereas if you're an amputee, that's not going to change. Yeah, yeah, and like a lot, of, a lot of people that aren't aware of like the different types of disability, they, they might they might look at you and go, "Oh, bloody hell, he's missing a leg." He, and you, they might look at me and I was like, "You're not missing a leg. What are you complaining about?" But then, like, in, in the in the grand scheme of things, like. You, you're, have you, are you only missing one leg? Yeah, well, I've got um, the leg and then I've got... Uh, what's, wrong, what's wrong with me? Uh, scoliosis of the spine, but that wouldn't affect my classification. And I've got a floating hip, so I don't have the development of one of my, my glute muscles. So I'm... How would I put this now? Uh, lower on one side, so that my... It doesn't affect my balance, so just yeah. But obviously, tilting wise, yeah. From a what would it be? A 
tactical perspective, obviously I'm not as, um, gosh, it's difficult to explain that one. Um, able to do it, say like the likes of Patrick as a double, a double amputee. Yeah. He's, he's symmetrical and thus balanced both sides. I know single amps can do it, but I am not as great at tilting that side as opposed to my dominant side. Yeah. Like, so, uh, like, um, your disability only really affects you in one limb, more or less, whereas mine, I've got quadriplegic cerebral palsy. I'm affected in all four limbs, so it affects my hands and everything like that. But, you know, like, even though I might not be, I might not achieve the level of GB on court, you know, I've still represented Scotland, which is, I hold it near and dear to my heart. Scotland is, you know, my country. So, um, you know, I must be must be doing all right if I'm playing for Scotland. So I must be doing something right anyway. But this, the the opportunity that I've been given with IWBF, it, it help it will help me to succeed off court, um, rather than on court. So it still it still gives me uh, an opportunity to go and do all these things off court, uh, as opposed to on court. So, well, I'd say you've reflected on obviously you've been very much. Uh, how would I term this now? Um, you, I won't say you were naive because you were using the word naive in terms of when you were younger. It's probably, it's not a bad thing to have that aspiration to want to um, get to the highest level in sport, be it Paralympics, Olympics, whatever hi- the heights your sport can take you to have as a youngster because obviously everybody's got goals. It's no point giving yourself as we spoke about earlier in the episode having that glass ceiling it's no point giving yourself that one and saying well this is high I'm gonna get um because it's it, it's kind of a negative way of looking at things but whereas I think you've reflected upon it and say well okay the sport's not gonna get me um to the heights that I wanted to however I'm going to use it as a tool in a different way be it the likes of education and now with that voluntary uh, role within IWBF and kind of using the sport as the, what's the word I want? I can't think of the actual word. Um, Say tool to be able to, kind of a catalyst to to be able to succeed in life and be it, I think a lot of, and I've spoken to this in certain episodes, uh, I think a lot of athletes, do focus predominantly on their, their sport and thing and do not have a backup. I think, well, whereas Dylan, I think you're quite switched on. You, you've kind of got to the realization, okay, this goal I had was a dream, yeah. but it is maybe not attainable to so let me use it as kind of a, a stepping stone, yeah. as you said, and, and you've mentioned to be able to kind of succeed in a different venture and, and, and thus being okay, you're doing it from a journalistic perspective. Yeah. You want to stay within the sport. So I think it's, it's commendable on that part. You're using the sport to give you a one up on somebody, a kind of a, what? Yeah. I, I definitely want to progress. Yeah. Sort of a different way of achieving to get to the elite level, but just off court. But and it just goes. I just thought about this. It goes back to the question he said earlier about me wanting to play in a higher division. Um, but about what I've just said about on court and off court stuff. I, I'd rather play forty minutes, um, in Dev Three than potentially play ten minutes in Dev One or say why. Like for me, just obviously, I want my team to succeed because it's a team sport, and what's best for the team always comes first. But. Um, for me, for me, just it's not about playing in the, for the best club or the best team or the best division. It's just about getting good minutes and you know being a valuable asset towards teammates, and vice versa. Well, that's a fair reflection on that. In terms of you want to, you could say in another word, it's doing it for the love of the sport as opposed to. Oof. Tracing, chasing trophies, so to speak. Yeah, uh-huh. that's what it's about. Yeah. So, last question, Dylan, before we uh, wrap up the, the the episode, if you had to summarize your episode into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Um, 
Um, be optimistic and don't give up. I think that's some good words there, Dylan. So once again, Dylan, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.